Two men enter, one man leaves. Welcome to the Mad Max Minute. Listen on, listen on. It's Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 28, which begins with Dr. Dealgood waxing philosophical, and it ends with the crowd chanting. Our guests today, should you choose to accept them, are Jonathan Howell and Chris Ramirez from the Minute Impossible podcast. Hello. Hello. Hello, gentlemen. (laughs) It's good to have you on. It's great to be on. We're excited. Yeah, we are. Our listeners may recognize your name, Jonathan, from the fact that I was on your podcast for the entire first week that our first week was running. And I know that sounds confusing because (laughs) English is my first language and you think I would have mastered it after 30 some odd years. You guys gave us a sweet recommend. You were like, hey, we don't have any episodes today. Go go listen to this. (laughs) Go listen to us. That's good. We like that. Yeah. I was a habitual retweeter. Yes, it's good. <laughs> really putting it out there. Yeah, we appreciate it. Yes, you were great. Did. For someone who has never seen Mission Impossible, you did really well. Yeah. Just so you know, we have both seen this movie. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Numerous times. So you've got one up on me when I was on your podcast. You actually did your homework and due diligence. To be fair, I asked you 35 minutes before we started <laughs> recording because Chris had laryngitis. So you did us a solid. We're only here to replay the favor by giving you bad commentary on uh, on three minutes of a movie that we both love. Yes, very much so. And voices. At least Chris doesn't have laryngitis this no, time. No, no, no. We're, we're, we're not in laryngitis negotiations this week. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I, I'm much better this week. I'm not in the middle of... Uh, of dealing with something at my theater where it's like nonstop business over there. So I'm actually relaxed and, and off today. So I'm able to be here with you guys. I'm wearing a robe. So let's get this thing going. Nice. Well, I'm glad you mentioned the theater because this is quite the theatrical moment. Yes, it is. We're starting off this minute with a grand sweeping camera motion. We started off looking at Auntie and the camera is just doing this lovely spin oh. move. Yeah. Julia, you're making a face. No, it's not lovely. <laughs> okay, it's fine if you're just watching the movie like a normal person. Sure. We don't watch this movie like normal people. We watch the same minute over and over and over and over again in order to analyze it. <laughs> I had to start skipping the first half of this minute. <laughs> <laughs> Did you need it's to go grab awful. some Dramamine or something? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Is it because you don't like the noise or you don't like the music or what What? what made you? Is it a combination? It's the spin. Oh, it's the it's low spinning. angle spin. Yes. I love oh, that I love angle spin. I love fine. it. We're all about angles over on yes. Men Impossible. So we, we Dutch love. Dutch angles. It's <laughs> been a really good minute for uh, you. It is. It is. some great angles. It's just the spinning over and over again. I, yeah. I couldn't handle it. Hmm. It was like some sort of weird dead or alive music video. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> Which is hilarious to me because, you know, they ended up doing that Tupac video years later that was basically this scene. I don't think I've ever seen that. You've never seen that? You haven't seen Tupac wearing uh, shoulder pads? He's wearing like the anti-shoulder pads or well. Yeah, exactly. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Tupac what and song? Tupac and Dre. I think it is, is it's Dre, right? Oh. Rick, you're looking this up, right? Because I can't. Well, I'm familiar with the well, song. I have a cell phone. Yeah. I just haven't like seen it lately. It's Tupac featuring Dr. Dr. Dre. Dr. Dre, yeah. California Love. California, that's song. it, yeah. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The entire music video is practically a love letter to this movie. Yeah. Yeah. And Road Warrior as well. So yeah. I'm actually surprised that we haven't brought it up before. <laughs> <laughs> it's always interesting to see how a movie like this that for a lot of us of a certain generation, it's so ingrained and but it's across every demographic. Oh, yeah. I remember definitely. everybody going to see Mad Max movies. This was like the thing. After Road Warrior came out, everybody's like, Do you all remember Mad Max? And everybody's like, No. Do you remember Road Warrior? Oh, yeah. I remember Road Warrior. Do you remember the third one, Beyond Thunderdome? And I was like, oh, yeah. We saw uh, Chris and I may be a little, a little older than you guys, but we I saw it in the movie theater as a kid. Yeah, I saw it like six times in the movie theater when I was a kid. But I loved Road Warrior, and I made my mom take us to go see this one. And then she dropped me off at the mall every week to go see it. <laughs> So I was enamored with this. I know a lot of people nowadays I've talked to that are my age call it the return of the Jedi of the Mad Max films, equating the kids to the Ewoks. Yeah. But, you know, at the same time, I'm like, what's wrong with that? It makes so much sense in the, in the scheme of this story. I mean, it's certainly not a bad description or comparison. Again, yeah. we grew up with Return of the Jedi being like 85, being our quintessential Jedi. Even though we all love Empire, I had more toys from Jedi. And the same thing with this. There were I didn't have any Mad Max toys. I wish they had them. They may I have. I have Mad Max toys now. Yeah, but they didn't have anything <laughs> when I was a kid. No, no, they didn't. I had a poster and that's it. If I had a gyrocopter and like a Mad Max or maybe... We would build Thunderdome. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Use our G.I. Joes and Star Wars toys in them. Oh, yeah. They would go to Thunderdome all the yep. time. Yeah. You get a good, um, let's see, like, I think probably a Rector set would probably be the best one. Tinker Toys, you could probably do it. Tinker Toys, yeah. Tinker Toys doesn't give you a ton of good angle options. No. We built it out of branches because I'm from yeah, the Yeah, I was going to say, I I'm, use branches. I'm, right. yeah. <laughs> I'm literally from the sticks. I Yeah. <laughs> so I, 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 I was in the South Texas. So, you know, it was like, use whatever you find, palm trees and branches bones. and uh, bones, bones dog desiccated, bones. Lots of dog bones. bones. <laughs> <laughs> I lived in a big like lot with like my whole family. Like when I say whole family, I mean like grandma and uncles and everybody was there. And it was like, go out and find rocks and sticks and whatever we could find <laughs> rocks and sticks and dog bones you were already halfway to mad max to begin with yeah, so that's half the set dressing in this movie wasn't a leap <laughs> exactly when they would leave us out there by ourselves for hours it would turn into mad max this know? minute's great because the star trek music starts really quickly and it's uh you guys i'm sure have talked about maurice jari Mm-hmm. Jare. Is it Jare? I think it's Jari. Yeah, I've heard it both. I've heard it that and Jar as well. And my first note was for the composer of this movie is how much money did they have to throw at this guy to write the music for this movie? That's what I was wondering. It's <laughs> insanely good. It's more than what the movie deserves. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, they ran out and Jari did Lawrence of Arabia. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's what, and I Dr. Zhivago. Yeah. <laughs> and Dead Poet Society. Those are not throwaway movies. No, not no. at all. <laughs> It's great that it's Lawrence of Arabia because of the whole desert aspect of Mad Max. <laughs> right, you know? right. Yeah, they were making good use of that Warner Brothers money for oh, sure. Oh, yeah, definitely. I say I shall only do movies that are in this desert. <laughs> I'm glad that you brought up the music, though. I didn't draw a comparison to Star Trek music, but I love <laughs> that it's so bombastic and kind of a 
like a carnival feel to it. And as we've been walking through Barter Town in different instances, we've been talking about the music and how in times past, we've tried to decide whether or not it's actually diegetic or if it's just soundtrack. And I really, really hope that in this instance, that there is a Barter Town band somewhere with a bunch (laughs) of dudes with horns and one guy just going crazy on cymbals. Because that would be perfect. That does sound fitting. I can picture... This band sitting off to the side, kind of with whatever instruments they happen to have, even if they didn't really make up a proper, at least in our minds, a proper band. Well, when you think about it, you know, when you get to like uh, Fury Road and they've got, you know, the Doof Warrior up there on that on that 18 wheeler with the guitar and the amp. Yeah. You know that these people are doing this sort of stuff all over, all over the place in that wasteland. Listen on, boys and girls. You know them. (laughs) You love them. The Thunderdome Band. The Thunderdome House Band, led by Sweaty Sex Guy. Sweaty Sex Guy. Oh, from uh, Lost Boys. Oh, if only. Yep. Well, he 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 was literally Tina Turner's sax player during this time period. It's a little upsetting to me how often we mention Tim Capello and how absent <laughs> he is from this movie. Yeah. Like that might be my biggest complaint at this point because he's so perfect for this movie. <laughs> you know. I know. A lot of people have a lot of complaints about this movie. The standout complaint that I have, no Tim Capello. I agree. All we get is Tun Tun. That's a unique complaint. Yeah. Most people would be, why is half this movie in a weird jungle with a bunch of screaming, yelling children? <laughs> but no, yours is no Tim no, Capello. No Tim Capello. Yeah, I would agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sweaty sax guy. That's what Thunderdome needed. We are less than half an hour into this movie and so far it's been recognizable mad max like it has been what we've seen in the first two movies we haven't uh, gone yeah. <laughs> we can get off beyond into it, yeah. the gulag yet i beyond oh my gosh thunderdome in thunderdome right. gotten beyond yeah. thunderdome yet <laughs> We are we are smack dab in the middle of Thunderdome right now. We are everything not. in and around Thunderdome. <laughs> great. Everything beyond Thunderdome, the namesake namesake of the movie. Blah. Yeah. I think this is this is actually the most iconic scene in the film, I would think. Oh, it's definitely one of them. Yeah. It's when Dr. Dealgood puts his hands out. Yeah. And he's wearing that amazing, you know, judge's robe and he's got his big uh shoulder pads. That was like one of literally the first trailer shot, I think, in the original trailer. Or the teaser mm-hmm. was was this intro. Yeah. yeah. I remember seeing that in, in 84. It was just like, oh, my God, this is going to be amazing. <laughs> yeah. Before we get into Dr. Dealgood's speech, there are a couple of things in the background I wanted to talk about. Namely, I wanted to direct our focus behind Dr. Dealgood to his two insistents. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and we learned earlier that yeah. their names are Tweedledee and Tweedledum and kind of a nod no. to Alice in Wonderland. No, right? Tweedledee and tw- No, it's Tweedledum and Tweedledummer. Oh, <laughs> Dang, Nabbit. Okay. Julia, we obviously read the same stuff. <laughs> yes. I have I have the novelization of the screenplay right I, next to me. Oh, it, uh, you know I have oh. such a soft spot in my heart. <laughs> Anytime it's a novelization of yeah, a movie I, from the 80s, I'm like, oh. <laughs> it's really good. The person who did it. <laughs> Joan D. Ving. Yes. Did yeah. a really good job. <laughs> okay. When we first discussed them, did I ask the question of which one was which? I don't think you did uh, okay because i have a feeling that if you had to assign which one was tweedledum and which one was tweedledumber i feel like stereotypes would dictate that tweedledum would be the brunette one and tweedledumber would be the blonde one just Ooh. because that's how screenwriters work right but i don't see any way to like i can't believe you got two colors of hair out of this i can't yeah I, they both look <laughs> blonde, so. everybody looks brown to me everybody's got brown brownish hair I mean, I guess one of them does have lighter brown hair. So 
they're Australian. They're they're probably all blonde. Yeah. What I love about it though, in the background, you've got that that like wheelbarrow of uh, <laughs> Death. weapons. I love that wheelbarrow of weapons, man. That's just awesome. It reminds me of Thor Ragnarok. <laughs> He's like, you really should clean these weapons up more after you know after they're being used. That's what it makes me think of. Because you know there's somebody out there who's, who has to clean these weapons after they're done in, 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 in Thunderdome. And I'm sure we'll get to this uh, in later minutes and we can just start on it now. The fact that they lift it up over their head and there's like a little show and they twirl yeah. mm-hmm. with these implements. It's funny. I guess the ladies pick the four. We'll talk about it later. There are four, only four weapons that are picked for Thunderdome. Yep. And in my mind, that was never the case. It was always just a battle royale of hundreds of choices whatever you can find yeah. but no it's just four and i i, I was like oh okay so th- they're the ones who pick it it seems like all right so those implements that they're holding currently mm-hmm. there are a couple of different names that those weapons go by if you're in europe they're usually called glaives if you are in china they're known as guandao or yan Dao, and japan they call them naginata unless i'm mistaken which i don't know i had like four or five tabs of just medieval polearm weaponry open up on my computer earlier when i was researching this i'm pretty sure the one held by the blonde is a guandao and the weapon held by the brunette is a naginata because the one held by the brunette has a suba between the handle and the blade and that's how you can tell the difference I have no idea what you just said. <laughs> I heard glaive and all I could think of was uh, crawl. So crawl. There's only one glaive and it's from crawl. Yeah, I went the same way, Chris. <laughs> exactly. That's a generational thing, obviously. I don't know how a glaive would behave in the Thunderdome. I feel like it would just be seen as cheating. You throw the glaive once and it just does all the work for you. I feel like that would take the sport out of it. <laughs> well, it's the same as if they'd pick some of the other weapons you see in the background. There's a shovel back there. A, a shovel is a glaive. You just throw it at somebody. Yeah, but no, but we're talking the actual glaive, oh. like from Crawl. You know, you throw that, and it's gonna just do all the work for you because you know you just reach out like with the force or whatever he did, and it does that. What I like about this cart full of weaponry is you can see the hammer, the big old mallet thing. Mm-hmm. You can see the chainsaw. I'm pretty sure somewhere on that cart is the spiked baseball bat that Blaster uses later on. As we have one of these Tweedledum Tweedledumber girls hold that big mallet up, it makes me think of Harley Quinn. And I wonder if somebody <laughs> else thought that. And that's how we got Harley Quinn. I like Bruce Tim was watching Beyond Thunderdome while he was drawing up the Batman stuff. Exactly. And he's like, oh, there's 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 my next my next Batman <laughs> villain right there. Well, I mean, Thunderdome definitely influenced even Tim Burton. Yeah, definitely. The set design, it has a Tim Burton-esque craziness to it. Not going into everything about Dr. Dealgood yet, but he, I mean, he looks like a Tim Burton character who would play a judge Yeah, in Gotham. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. It's this uh, aesthetic. This movie does it with the older people, like the older people who obviously are from you know, like normal time before the Thunderdoming and the <laughs> Mad Maxing and the Road Warrioring, because these guys all have the clothes of like Deadwood. They look like Deadwood extras. They're all wearing this turn of the century <laughs> style clothes. And this happened in Road Warrior too. the um, the small gentleman. I forget his name. You guys probably know it. The small gentleman. Oh, wait, no, he's in this. Uh, excuse me, master. I, oh, okay. I, 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 I almost, excuse me. I was going to say, I apologize. Like, um, yeah, this the um, uh, master in this <laughs> movie wears like a suit, like an older, like an old suit, like a yeah, like a 1940s, 50s suit. Yeah. Once he's done cosplaying as a shogun, yeah, he actually does change into a like a little <laughs> tweed suit. Yeah, but he looks like Doc Brown from 1885. Exactly. But he also looks like a little Charlie Chaplin, which I think is cool. <laughs> yeah. 
I, lo- I love the whole aesthetic and this scene really because, you know, everybody on the outside is all post-apocalyptic and auntie's there and she's dressed like a crazy person. How dare you speak ill of Tina Turner in that outfit? I mean, seriously. She made chainmail earrings cool. OK, yes, she did. She did. But uh, yeah, it, I love I love how this we haven't seen Thunderdome and to come into this scene, even though it makes Julia want to throw up. Uh, I love that they're giving us the the height and the breadth of this thing. It's just amazing. Mm-hmm. And I love that it's a real set. I mean, they some they built this and it's out there on location and all these people are up on it, you know? Even if it's in a studio, it's still in a studio and it's built, you know, the whole thing. That's amazing. Yeah, they said it was 30 feet high. Yeah, that's crazy. And that means it's 60 feet wide. Yeah. Is that how math works? I think so. If it was a perfect dome, that is exactly how it would be. I'm going to assume it's a perfect dome. It's not a perfect dome. Damn it. It's actually a little bit narrower and taller oh. it's not a perfect half semisphere <laughs> it's a little bit more industrial than that oh. but i love oh. the lighting as well like they've got these people backlit by these big massive you know like uh, movie lights and you can just see them like blaring the light through the through the slats of people it's amazing this had to be a hot shoot oh yeah it had to be <laughs> unless if they shut this outside I, which i doubt they did yeah i doubt it too because of the amount of sound yeah because when when it gets quiet it gets really quiet i mean i know that's not the real sound on well they built the entirety of barter town in a quarry and so all of this is outside oh, wow. and all of really? this was shot at night really that's awesome really that's impressive yeah yeah none of the barter town stuff is shot indoors in fact auntie's penthouse really is 80 feet off off the ground oh wow yeah i remember reading about that part that it that that penthouse was really at the top of that of that it was a practical set is what i'd heard Mm -hmm. oh wow that's cool that's awesome because they could have easily faked this yeah oh yeah and everything that you see happening next week and the week after with all of the jumping around all of that's 100 percent real and most of it is mel gibson doing the jumping i read that he's he's better than the stuntman i was told that by mel gibson so i i I knew that (laughs) i'll say if mel gibson is the one saying it he might have a horse in that race yeah exactly this may be that same bs that we hear sometimes when they they say oh in demolition man wesley snipes was slowed down because he was so fast with his (laughs) karate it's like all right calm down who told you this as we're coming out of the vertigo death spin of an opening shot we settle in on Dr. Dealgood, and he has this speech. And this speech completely dominates today's minute. And he starts out with what's more or less, I assume it's a recap of society that everyone has heard before, but it's kind of his opening statement. And I like how we get a couple of instances in this movie of characters talking about the time that happened before this movie. And in this instance, I find it interesting mostly because it highlights the effect of violence on a society. The whole idea that the end of the world was the end result of just little one-on-one squabbles. And then they just blew out of proportion and eventually just blew up altogether. And the fact that they're even left is just luck. Yeah, I I like that Thunderdome to him at least has a code, Mm -hmm. is their ethical code. And this is, I mean, that's kind of what the whole point of Auntie is, is that she created this place based on rules. Now these rules right now, auntie is, is she a good, is she a, a, the good guy in this? No, but is she a bad guy? No. So I love that Dr. Dealgood is, is the one explaining because he probably came into this town as, you know, like everyone else did and afraid and in shambles and she kind of lifted him up. And now he's the man who decides, uh, you know, when you come to Thunderdome and explains everything to everybody. And it's just, you know, it's, uh, we see him in other scenes doing other things where he'll, he'll, he's selling things, he's bartering things. So 
I love him. I love his character. It, this movie could have easily have created an announcer guy. Instead, he's not an announcer guy. He is a judge. And this is his courtroom, even though uh, Auntie is the one watching it. So maybe she's the judge. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, he kind of fills that whole carnival barker, auctioneer, judge type role. He fills so many bits and he's just the guy. And it's so great. How high up in the ranking do you think he is? Is he third? Is he behind Master Blaster and Auntie? And is he third? I don't think their government works like that. Yeah. I think Auntie is in charge and she has a council. Small council? Yeah. Like it's more of a Auntie drop down a level and then you've got the rest of the people. Okay. I got you. Yes. I think the collector is her hand, the hand of the queen, if you will. And then Iron Bar, Dr. Dealgood, Master Blaster sit on her council. Oh, 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 oh. Okay. So the collector's the hand. Dr. Dealgood is the master of coin. Iron Bar is the captain of the Queen's Guard. Mm-hmm. And, okay, Master Blaster is... He's not the master of secrets. He's Littlefinger. <laughs> no, he's definitely a Littlefinger type. He's he's conniving. He's Littlefinger sitting proud. on top of Big Finger. Right. <laughs> if the mountain was... Uh, mm. If he sat on the mountain. <laughs> if the mountain gave piggyback rides, Littlefinger would be... Yeah, because Littlefinger is proud and arrogant and conniving and secretly working against the crown the entire way, but he's still held in high esteem. Mm-hmm. I don't know if Auntie has a spy network like Varys mm. or something like that. She does seem to use the Collector and Iron Bar as her spies. Yeah. Her masters of spies. I also think that just the people there are her spies because she keeps them alive. Right. So there's a certain fear base of, you know, they're all potentially, they're going to move up if they find out somebody was trying to do something, trying to hurt Auntie. Mm -hmm. As long as Auntie is giving them a place where they can safely trade, they'll be loyal to her. If they keep getting the benefits of Barter Town, she's pretty much safe. I think so. Yeah. I'd love how going along with the whole Barter Town gives these people something. I love how Thunderdome is not just Bloodsport entertainment. It actually serves a good purpose. Like in their minds, they see Thunderdome as the way to just nip conflicts in the bud. Yep. And it kind of elevates this murder tournament. Because it's not a tournament. It's just as these things crop up, they throw two guys in the pit, let them duke it out, and then they're done. Only if they're arguing with each other. If you break a deal, (laughs) you face the wheel. Right. That's a whole other thing. Yeah. But if you have a beef with somebody, you have to fight in Thunderdome and one of you dies. (laughs) Exactly. It's like like the Old West, literally, in that they're they're two gunslingers. They're meeting at high noon, and it's between them. We just watch, you know, Mm -hmm. and hope you don't get stabbed or or shot, you know? Oh, yeah. Well, it's not our minutes, but some (laughs) innocent, some collateral damage happens in this movie during during Thunderdome. Exactly. That's what I mean. We're going to learn firsthand. Well, I guess secondhand. And why it's so dangerous to be in certain positions around the Thunderdome. What are good seats at Thunderdome? Are good seats, would you go all the way to the top so you can sit and look down? That seems the safest. We agreed that you want to be about on level with Auntie. We were talking about that last week when everyone was climbing up and Uh the... Middle area of the dome offers good angles, but also good safety. Okay. So that's definitely where we figured we'd be. Yeah, the lower rungs, the, the lesser the people get the uh, the cheap seats. And the infirmed. Yeah, yeah. the infirmed. <laughs> when Dr. Dealgood talks about the death of us all, there are still some of them that are still being killed because of senseless violence. But like I say, if they came earlier to the dome, they wouldn't have to sit so far down. The 
first roughly 35 seconds of this minute is that spin shot and that first angle on Dr. Dilgood. And we get a switch about halfway through this minute where we start at more of a lower angle on Dr. Dilgood and he continues talking. He points out to everybody listening, look at us now, busted up and everybody talking about hard rain. And I don't quite understand why everyone's talking about hard rain because that movie didn't come out until about 13 years after beyond (laughs) thunderdome and i mean morgan freeman and christian slater are like good actors but i mean hard rain was like a financial disaster it made very little of its budget back in the box office yeah but this movie takes place in the future they've already seen hard rain (laughs) exactly they've already seen hard rain yeah It would have been better if they were talking about Chubby Rain, though. I mean, that would have been more interesting to me. Oh, such a good movie. Yeah, exactly. Or even Purple Rain. I would have accepted that. (laughs) Everyone's here talking about Purple Rain. Yeah, exactly. How awesome would that be? (laughs) I mean, can you blame them? No. (laughs) Especially this being the year after Purple Rain came out and and all of that. That would have been great. That would have been awesome. I actually think the Mad Max universe and Purple Rain are a shared universe, so that's... Shared universe? Yep. Because of the shoulder pads. Shoulder pads is where I, I... Anybody with that size of shoulder pads, rest in peace, Prince. Imagine imagine if we'd had a Mad Max film where Prince was the bad guy. Oh, my God. That would have been interesting. Mm. Be called Tiny Man. <laughs> be awesome. <laughs> Tiny Man. Now, chances are they're talking about, like, a downpour or some sort of actual water. Like, everyone is wishing for rain. That makes sense. But Oh, I thought it was acid <laughs> rain and, like, fallout from nuclear stuff. Yeah. That's initially what I thought of. You know, the idea that a fallout rain, something that's laced with React, would be qualified as hard rain. But apparently that's not a thing. Oh, okay. Maybe everyone's talking about hard rain because they're hoping for hard rain. But then he turns it around and he says, but we've learned by the dust of them all that Barter Towns learned that when men get to fighting, it happens here and finishes here. And I like the implication And I kind of mentioned this before, but the idea that Bartertown has found the great solution Mm -hmm. to all large conflicts. Yeah, it breaks it down into the two leaders of that conflict Mm -hmm. and they just decide. Yeah, you can't really have two mighty warrior tribes go to war and touch off a blaze that engulfs them all if you pluck out the chieftains of each tribe and force them to settle their differences one on one. It's the same thing that the Code of Hammurabi and all these other Babylonian and Mesopotamian laws back from so you know in antiquity were created because people would just get mad at each other and then whole tribes would kill each other so they had to come up with these laws that were vicious i mean the laws were vicious too but at least the law said you do something bad to someone that's going to get done to you mm-hmm. so just be prepared there are consequences <laughs> And that's what this is. This is a the ultimate consequence of uh, of an argument. If you know that in a disagreement that there's the potential for one of you having to kill the other person, maybe you would be more willing to mediate a situation instead of escalating it. We have a lot less less of what we've got going on in the world right now, I think, if we just said, okay, you're going to Thunderdome, go deal with it. And people are like, oh, no, 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 we'll, 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 we'll work it out. We don't want to. No, no, no. We don't want any bloodshed. Not like that, at least. <laughs> I'm curious about the process of declaring Thunderdome. <laughs> Does it have to be requested by one of the participants? One of the bar- the, the wrong parties? <laughs> yeah, yeah, or can it be declared by somebody watching saying, oh, those two are arguing and it's getting pretty bad. They need to go to Thunderdome. Well, isn't that what happened at the beginning of this? <laughs> That'd be awesome. Got like a, like a metal glove and they walk up to you and whack you in the face with a giant <laughs> chainmail glove and like, I say... 
I request Thunderdome. <laughs> and then the rest of the audience is like, yes, yes, Thunderdome. The only instance that we see of a Thunderdome contest being initiated is Iron Bar interrupting and then the collector calling for it. Yeah, yeah which is kind of a mix between the two methods. Yeah. Iron Bar stopped it because it was to the point it needed to go to Thunderdome, but then Master called Thunderdome himself. So it's kind of hard to tell which is the normal way to go about it. Yeah. I'm just thinking about arguments and how arguing about something is okay. Arguing about something is healthy. It's important in relationships from husband, wife, intimate relationships, all the way down to strangers. It's okay to argue. Nobody has to die simply because you're having an argument. Oh, you know what would have been an amazing piece of set dressing earlier in this movie? When Max was brought onto Auntie's elevator, what they needed is one of those like deli ticket take stations. <laughs> so you get into an argument with someone, you go over to the elevator, you pull a number, and you gotta wait for your number to be called. You pull a tag, it says 40, and they're on number 23. And you got to wait those 17 or so people in front of you. And then maybe by the time you get to the, your number, you've calmed down a little bit. And you say, you know what? I don't actually need to talk to Auntie. Here's the number back. That type of thing. You've got to come up with some sort of uh, rhyming scheme for it, though. You got to come up with something. Take a number. <laughs> Do not slumber. It ha everything in this world has some sort of yeah. It has of, to be a couplet of some kind. Yeah, some of some kind. I don't know. I don't know what a good one would be, but you know, <laughs> yeah. it just seems a little extreme. A little. It seems very extreme that one person, whether they're right or wrong, is going to be put to death because of an argument. Well, sure. Oh. Yeah, I was gonna say. this is the same place where people kill over gasoline. So uh, yeah, it's all <laughs> well. That I understand. Oh, okay, that's okay. Well, in this world and in this environment, gasoline is the difference between life and death. So if you're going to fight for it, I'm okay with it being life or death. Yeah. But just arguing about a fair trade can lead to somebody dying. And that's ridiculous. That's why we have judges who can pass down judgment and say which one of you is right. And you, we are supposed to honor their judgments. And they're completely skipping like a normal step in mediation. Yeah. This is definitely a might is right situation as opposed to a right is might. It's favoring whoever's the biggest and the strongest. Like you could have some muscle bound meathead walking through barter town and he'll like push someone off a stool. And if they step to him, he could be like, ah, Thunderdome. And then he just goes around killing people because, you know, he's a, you know, serial killer wastelander. <laughs> and that's why it falls apart, I think. Well, that's one reason why Master Blaster got to the point where Auntie wants to have Blaster killed is because every time Master Blaster, meaning Blaster, goes to Thunderdome, he kills whoever he goes in there with. Mm -hmm. So he's climbing to the top of the food chain and he's gaining arrogance. Plus, he's got Underworld to his credit. Like, Thunderdome is part of the problem. Yeah, I think Thunderdome starts to fall apart when politics get involved. If you can throw surrogates into the dome on your behalf, the whole idea of Thunderdome falls apart. It does. It's, and the, it's the big weakness. Yeah, and Master Blaster kind of cheats that system. We don't know if delegates are allowed, but because Master Blaster is considered one person, Master can create a problem and then send Blaster in to clean it up. Uh, that's why in 1997, Australia stopped using Thunderdome as their method of law. It's a little known fact. <laughs> After this movie, they used Thunderdome for about 10, 15 years. And then and then they just... And, and, and if it wasn't for that, we wouldn't have had any of the Hemsworths. Yeah. So, you know, thank God. They're from a post-Thunderdome family. 
Oh, okay. Or Hugh Jackman. I mean, come on. That's why they're so genetically superior to everyone else. <laughs> That's the Thunderdome I want to see. That's why the gene pool is so strong in Australia. Yeah, exactly. They're all Blaster. Exactly. They're just genetically better than everybody. Blaster was their <laughs> grandfather. That's how we got we got all these actors, you know? <laughs> we, we we got we got Russell Crowe, we got Hugh Jackman, we got the Hemsworths, we got Nicole Kidman, you know, they all <laughs> They're all descendants of Thunderdome. <laughs> We're getting to the end of the minute. The speech that Dr. Dealgood is saying, it wraps up with him saying, two men enter, one man leaves. And then everybody that's sitting around the dome repeats that. And we're going to save that chanting for Wednesday. We're going to put a pin in the minute for now. We're going to come back and we're going to talk about this whole <laughs> one and seemingly only rule of Thunderdome. Jonathan and Chris, before we go, why don't you tell the lovely people that are listening where they can hear more of you? We're at a couple different places. Uh, you can find us at Minute Impossible on the internet. You can also find us on your podcatchers under Minute Impossible and on Twitter at Min Impossible, M-I-N Impossible. And Chris and I are always talking goofy stuff over in on Facebook yes. at the Impossible Minute Force. Random, random, randomness that, in, that involves Minute Impossible. Our Mission Impossible. Yes films and uh, its actors that have come through the, the pearly gates of the Mission Impossible series. So you can check them out and those places. You already know where to find our stuff. We're You're going to hear it in the outro anyway. And you know what? We'll see you all on Wednesday. The Mad Max Minute Podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy, is presented by Kennedy Miller Mitchell Productions, and distributed by Warner Brothers. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is Verdi's Dies Irae by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. And our outro music is We Don't Need Another Hero by MilitiaVox of MilitiaVox.com. Our home on the internet is MadMaxMinute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at MadMaxMinute, like us on Facebook by searching for MadMaxMinute, and join our Facebook listener group, MadMaxMinute Beyond Microphone. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit MadMaxMinute.com where you can check out our Tee Public storefront by clicking the store link join our patreon by clicking the support link or make a one-time donation by clicking the donate link thank you for joining us for minute 28 of beyond thunderdome see you next time Over!